Welcome to Data Remediations, a podcast connecting environmental data with people and places through stories and art. Hi, I'm Bethany Wigan. And I'm Patricia Kim. Welcome back to the Data Remediations podcast. This is the fifth episode, but the first that we're the hosts are making together, but from two cities. I'm in Philly and Patricia is in New York. Hi. So in today's episode of Data Remediations, we're discussing what kinds of stories we need to compel climate action and invite you to share your climate story with us. The climate is changing now. Across the globe, it has diverse local impacts. Starting today, we're building a public data bank of personal stories about how people are sensing climate change locally. Here are a few. I'm Lucy, and here in Philly, you can smell climate change. Exploding sewers, flooding sinkholes, and a rapidly multiplying mosquito population show how my city's infrastructure will collapse under increased rainfall and extreme heat. I'm April. Oregon's Willamette River is getting lower and warmer. Its waters are washing masses of dead salmon ashore. The Kalapuya are losing an essential food, and we are all thirsty. I'm Grace from South Africa. Last year, I tried to wash my hands in Cape Town, but all the taps produced was a mist. Cape Town cannot keep up with severe drought and intense population. I'm Meg. I'll never forget my first plane trip to Tanzania in 2000, the thrill of seeing Mount Kilimanjaro's snowy peak above the clouds. When I flew there this summer, it looked bare. I'm Bethany. When I grew up in Maine, the ocean water took our breath away. But this summer, we could swim for nearly an hour before our feet grew numb. My name is Margaret. I'm hearing climate change and my grandmother's concerns that her air conditioner won't make it through Wisconsin's next heat wave. Sharing our stories connects climate change to the here and now and to the people and places we love. Climate change isn't just recorded by atmospheric and ocean sensors. Our human sensations also provide data for a shared understanding of how climate change is shaping experiences across the globe. How we feel matters and our feelings inform how we will respond. We wanna know, what's What's your story? In that mini lecture, you heard six different women. That was April Anson, Margaret Jans, Meg Ehrenberg, Grace Burroughs, Lucy Corlett, and me. We were all sharing our personal climate stories. So what I love and sort of hate about your lecture, in air quotes, is that it shows how climate impacts are now so severe that we're sensing them with our own bodies. Snow is disappearing and We have to listen to how our grandmothers worry. Yeah, exactly. And those are the kinds of stories we think people really around the globe are experiencing, and we really want to hear them. So we're inviting wider audiences, and that includes you, dear listener, to contribute everyone's climate story to a growing data story bank at datarefuge.org. Our student public research interns, Grace, who you already heard, and also Katie Collier, are going to tell you how you can do that. Hey, it's Grace and Katie. We all have individual experiences of climate change, and we all have our own stories to tell. 
Building the Data Story Bank helps us take action through storytelling. The Data Story Bank is a compilation of individuals and communities' lived experiences, which collectively relay a larger national story of how open access to federal environmental and climate data is an equity, public health, and economic well-being issue. Our new campaign launched this September asks where and how people sense climate change to form a shared understanding of how the crisis is shaping the globe. To contribute your hashtag MyClimateStory, visit datarefuge.org. You know, Bethany, I think especially with the global climate strikes for climate justice, these personal stories are so critical. I was actually watching the video call for climate strikes where there are people from all around the world talking about why they're on strike. And I was so moved by the diversity of experiences, of age groups, languages, and the variety of personal reasons for, for participation. Yeah, totally. It's so moving to hear what makes people get out in the streets and miss school or, in my case, miss work. And it's also this need to hear people's individual stories about how they're experiencing climate change in their backyards or in their apartments. That's why we wanted to create this data story bank um, to really get to people to, to talk and to recognize that people's experiences are also a form of data and that how we feel is a form of data and one that can be really important to get people to act on climate. And we've been thinking about how public engagement also highlights the need to democratize what we mean by data and also to be able to get access to existing data already. Our interns, Grace and Katie, have been working for a while now to develop longer climate stories about how Philadelphia is changing. Just this week, we have been working to try to get them into Philadelphia city archives, but we're not having a lot of success. They actually had to call me from the street. Hello. Hey, Bethany. It's Katie and Grace. Hey, hey guys. How are you doing? Uh, we're good. So we found the Department of Records on um, Spring Garden Street, but they didn't know who we were speaking about coming. You mentioned that we had um, written them, but hadn't received an answer. Yeah, so the receptionist didn't know who James Leonard was, but we ended up speaking with the registrar and collections manager. Joshua K. Blay, and he said that he can't give us James Leonard's actual number or email address, but instead we should email him with all the details, and then maybe he'll put us in contact with him if everything's approved by the city office. Apparently, Leonard's office is in the middle of Santa City. Ah, so his office isn't in the record box? No. Okay, thanks. Sorry about that. Thank you, Bye. Well, you heard they went out, but they didn't really have any luck. We had been emailing and trying to get in, but we will we'll keep working on it.
Oh God, I'm I'm so sorry. That's really frustrating. Yeah, it's okay. But you know, this whole episode got me thinking about that great conversation that you and I had with Heather Joseph last spring in Washington, D.C. Do you remember? Yes, I do remember when we spoke with Heather Joseph, who directs Spark, or the Scholarly Publishing and Academic Resources Coalition based in Washington, D.C. Heather talked to us a lot about the importance of open access. Data is the building block of knowledge, right? And the whole concept of open access is really about making sure that the information that people can get access to, it enables them to take place in essentially a global intellectual conversation, right? Uniting humanity in this conversation about how to advance things and move, move society forward. I think the decisions that we're making today about access to data, about who's in and who's out, essentially, in terms of being allowed to interact with this incredibly important layer of information, really determine whether we end up with a future where we have inequities baked into our system in terms of haves and have-nots, or whether we're truly working towards democratization of access to, to knowledge. You know, I find it super interesting that Heather Joseph and so many of the other data experts we've spoken with for the podcast, they have all understood data also as a matter of equality. And you know what, Bethany, when I think about the origins of the Data Refuge Project back in late 2016, this very question of open access and the preservation of archives was central to our mission of making lots of copies to ensure that people could continue to access federal climate and environmental data. But, you know, I've also started to think about these earlier questions that we'd been asking after not sleeping for nights. (laughs) I've been thinking about these questions in the context of our recent storytelling initiative. Yeah. And I mean, of course, storytelling has been central to the project really from the beginning. I think the fact that, you know, we were pointing out that data needed a refuge um, was really a really important story. So shocking. And I think like since day one, we've really been engaged with the necessity for accessible archives and open data and drawing attention to that through effective stories. So the question of open access and open data is like totally also about who can contribute to archives and whose data matters. And this is one of the major reasons why we're really taking this hashtag my climate story seriously. Like that's, we really want people to contribute to our story bank because action on climate comes when people really feel that their stories matter too. You know what? This actually reminds me of something that Daniel Castro, do you remember him? He directs Mm -hmm. the center of for data innovation in DC. He was a guest on episode two and- Oh wait, he he basically wrote the white paper on data poverty, right? He did, he did. And he said something really interesting about data and representation. Uh, let's, let's take a listen. You know, this idea of data poverty or even data deserts is something we also talked about, which is the idea that there might be individuals or groups who lack access to high quality data that's being collected or generated about them and as a result, they're, they're really missing out on these social and economic benefits. So the advancement of open data and open education is as much about who gets to contribute, who has a say, and who is represented. Yeah, totally. And sorry for beating a dead horse, but you, listener, can make sure you get your climate story heard, contribute to the story bank. 
You can do it, obviously, digitally from the comfort of your own home. It takes about 90 seconds. But also, if you're here in Philadelphia, we'll be out and around town a bunch of times this year gathering climate stories. And Patricia will be doing so in New York and other national partners will be doing so also in locations across the country. We're really excited to feature them and Patricia too in later episodes of the podcast. All along, as we've really been creating this story bank project, we've been really inspired by artist Amy Balkin. And Amy came and visited us in Philly last year. Her work, and I'm thinking especially of the People's Archive of Sinking and Melting, it contains contributions of really hundreds of participants and archivists from around the globe. And do check that out, too, at sinkingandmelting.org. That's right. I actually had the chance to speak with Amy when she visited us at Penn and gave her awesome talk. And she shared with me how she and her collaborators create an archive of climate stories and really a community of different people in a way that is truly open and accessible to all. Preservation in this moment of climate change, you know, or if you're going to talk about the Anthropocene, right? So, like, I think there's a question about what will the future hold? What scenario will we experience? You know, and I think the question is, like, what kind of cultural continuity will we have? And I think you could, let's just say, let's imagine a couple of different divergent scenarios. One, one is that there's no people left, right? So, you know, so it goes the way of other human materials and to let's say things continue on as they are and that it sits as a collection um the collection had a kind of maybe a a sense of crisis from a moment that there was a that there were these crises but maybe the crises weren't utterly destructive this aspect of what remains or what will remain with ongoing climate change was really intriguing to me. So I asked Amy for whom is this archive and what is its purpose? And why tell these stories at all? Right. I have, I have a couple of responsibilities. One is to take care of those objects and preserve them. The other is to circulate them so that they're in a public context and so there's a kind of meaningfulness to them and an engagement with them. You know, it really exists for the present and it exists for the contributors and it exists as a dialogic project. I'll preserve it, I circulate it, I follow that path at the same time I follow the other path. I mean, I think the status of archives changes over time, right? And they're always received in cultural contexts, and also the objects within them or the things within them or the stories are received in, in different... And things can have very different meanings very, very quickly. So, unfortunately, now it's not just the cultural context that's changing. It's also the physical context, what we think of as the natural, in air quotes, world. For the last 10,000 years, the planet and the natural world had been experiencing relative climate stability, and we could really kind of take it for granted. But as all these climate stories show, we humans, we have sent the climate into chaos. I think at this time, maybe more than ever, we need more archives 
full of love letters to this uncertain future. I'm really, you know, a great uh, believer in archives and their power, but that isn't to look away from the ways that archives and data can exclude as much as they contain. I mean, that's what Heather Joseph and Daniel Castro keep reminding us about. And I even talked with Amy about how archives and archival practices really have such complicated histories that are rooted in systems of power and oppression. It reflects the system and, you know, and but then also ultimately, too, that's all you could say that's a failing because it reinforces it and that's who sees it. And so I'm wary of the problem of the archive. I'm aware I'm aware of its colonial history. I understand its limitations and I understand its affects you know, in terms of its politics, you know. And I think there are other shapes that other projects I do take, and I thought that this could do some work, and I understand that it can work within a kind of framework. It can break some conventions and hopefully do some good work on behalf of its contributors, who I thank, you know, and hopefully I'll continue to circulate it and it will do that work. But um, a people's archive of sinking and melting is what I call an archive of the future interior, what will have been. And it's an archive of things that come from places that can no longer support those things or the people that live there owing to the impacts of climate change and the politics that also drive those impacts. So thinking about dispossession and also thinking about what does it mean for people who experience climate change in an individualized way, especially thinking about loss and damage, how do people think about that in terms of representation? And how can objects maybe speak to other audiences or speak with each other to have a kind of conversation that represents the way that impacts are experienced locally? So we invite you, listener, to contribute your climate story and share how you're sensing climate change by tweeting us at Data Refuge using the hashtag MyClimateStory. Or you can log on to stories.datarefuge.org slash climate story and share directly with our story bank. I'm going to say the URL one more time, stories.datarefuge.org backslash climate story. And listener, stay tuned for our next episode. We get to talk with students and activists from Houston at Rice University and beyond at Tejas, amazing people. They're all working together to get the data Houstonians want as they're seeking to imagine and make possible another Gulf Coast. See you then. See you. Bye.